guys have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to First Timothy. I mean, First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter five tonight. While you're looking that up, <clears throat> when I was a kid, our family went to St. Augustine. I was a senior in high school. I had a brother <clears throat> who was. Uh, we were close in age, about a year and a half apart, and very competitive. But we liked to surf together. And on family vacations, which are not always the most fun, right? <clears throat> I mean, you think about what you're going to do this week. We're about to meet with families for Thanksgiving. And you start thinking, what can go wrong? What, what could possibly go wrong? And my brother and I were arguing about something. I don't remember what it was. And I ended up getting pushed into a, a table sat on the edge of this glass table and went through it, um, cut my backside. <laughs> There's glass on the floor. Parents are f furious. It was a fiasco. It was like everything just fell apart. We're out in the water just talking about, ah, you're this, that, you're... Why is the focus so, so negative? And years go by, and then you're around playing cards, and you're laughing about the exact same stories that you were cussing each other just 10 years before, right? Anybody been there? So I heard this story about a guy who took his, his son, very similar situation. They weren't getting along all that well, but they go to a museum, and the son wasn't really interested in the museum. So he tells his dad, when are we going to get out of here? He's tired. I'm tired of seeing all this stuff. Finally sighs and looks at his dad and he says, I want to go see something real. All of this is fake. In church, in scripture, there are times where you go and you're like, it's not real. It doesn't seem real. I'm reading the words, but it's like black words on a white piece of paper. This is not really practical. I need to put this down so that I can really get something out of life. I, this isn't doing me a lot of good. i got to go. Paul did not have the Bible like you and I did. The Thessalonians were written this letter by Paul. It was one of the first epistles that were written. They say Galatians may have been earlier. But he was called from Macedonia because they had a need. In Acts chapter 16 and 17, they said, we need someone to minister to us. Please come. Paul responds and he goes to Macedonia. He winds up in Philippi. He does ministry there. And then over a period of time leaves. A lot of people get saved. He goes about 100 miles and he winds up in Thessalonica to do ministry. It was his practice to go from big city to big city and then send out the churches to small cities. A couple things you need to know. He passed over small cities on the way to minister at the big places so that he could disciple and empower. Who else did that? Jesus model was I'm going to disciple this 72, this 12, and send them 
out. In the New Testament, the church is referred to in two primary ways. One, the international church. Two, the local church. This is a local church. Part of an international body of believers that meets with people with skin on. Who have troubles just like them. Walking life together with them in real situations. Not like in a museum where we can go and look at the nice paintings on the wall about what Pastor so-and-so did long ago, but about what the Holy Spirit of the living God is doing today in me and in you. You are not going to be part of a museum one day. You and I are going to be in heaven worshiping the living God. And we need to take as many people there with us as we can get. In order to get there, we have to realize what God's perfect order is. Follow that order. And be sensitive to the layout that Paul gives us. The Bible that they had, they did not have, was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is written, and we're about to read it. Paul, to the people who you and I get to hear the gospel from, penned these words. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to start in verse 12, and I'm going to read through verse 28. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good one to another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord as have this letter read to all the brothers. You have them read this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You can be seated. There there was a show a long time ago called All in the Family. And Archie Bunker, the hero, was not quite the hero, was he? But one thing I enjoyed about that show was it dealt with real-life issues. It was much like a lot of shows on TV used to be. Art imitates life, right? Well... Family is not always fun, and it got 
it made me feel a little bit better about my dysfunctional family to watch another dysfunctional family. There's a three basic uh, aspects of family that God, I believe, designed for us to need. And we're going to look at those aspects tonight. And the first one is there's order. In the first few verses, he's talking about the leadership. And I'm going to read verse 12 and 13 again. Brothers. This is one of Paul's favorite words, by the way. He uses brethren 60-something times in his epistles, and half of them are in the two two, uh, epistles' letters to the Thessalonians. Brothers, family members, respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Who's he talking about? In the church, it would be the church staff, the leadership, maybe the pastor. So all I could say to you right now is thank you for doing a great job. There are a few things that... There are a few words that stick out to me that you guys are excellent at. You're excellent at loving the leadership. Looking and trusting. Keeping no record of wrongs. That's not an easy thing to do. And in a regular family, when you're growing up and you've got a dad that you don't respect so much, you're looking for what he can do wrong. But rather than constantly looking at what we need to change, what we need to fix, what you're doing wrong, We surrender, submit, and serve. We do things well. You appreciate. You accept. I remember being called and knowing I don't have qualifications. I was reminded by who? You. That God calls and you'll be fine. It's the Holy Spirit that you follow. You follow. We trust that you're praying. We trust that you're right with God, and we'll support. You don't know what that means? For someone who grew up, without acceptance, or at least feeling accepted. There's acceptance in a healthy church. I'd much rather be in a healthy church where I'm accepted, not told what I want to hear, not let my sins washed under the rug, but when confronted, I love you and we'll work this out. We're admonished in Scripture very clearly. You who are spiritual, go to such a one who needs admonishing. But you have to be spiritual first, don't you? 
And then in a spirit of gentleness, that's the love, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness so that you might not fall into temptation. You see that picture? It's a picture of teamwork. Order is God places the husband, the wife, the family. There's three organizations, basically, that God developed, designed for you and I. One, the family. Our country tries to pull that apart. The family unit is redefined. Not at my house. And when it's not at our house, and, and it is lived out like this, we don't have problem because it's his order. So the leadership is Christ, his leadership, and we just fall. I was counseling someone just yesterday who was having a hard time with her son. There's a leadership out of order problem. You see, when I'm a kid growing up, I really only have one thing to worry about as a Christian. The one promise that comes with a blessing. It's a commandment. Children, obey your parents, and you'll live long in, in the land, right? Well, a church member, it's saying, surrender to the authorities you've been placed under. We think children obey your parents unless they're there's always a prepositional phrase. And when we remove the prepositional phrase in, in spite of when someone else is wrong, you see, Jesus says it's okay to be wrong, but we can't be out of his order. Trust me with your dad. Trust me with your life group leader. I want to see order. And when you're willing to do it his way, Everything lines up with balance. It starts with order. The second thing a family does is it has service. So within order, we work together. I want to read this second, these next few verses. Be at peace among yourselves after you've surrendered we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See, no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That's not easy to do, is it? In the context of service, we're serving next to someone. It's a partnership, if you will. There are some people he pointed out here. In verse 14, we see the word, the word for idle. This is unruly. This isn't just sitting around doing nothing. This is, I'm not doing that. It's a picture of rebellion. How do you, how are you nice to that. The word could be interpreted careless, out of line, unruly. This is not uncommon. 
How do we get there? When we are unruly, we don't like rules and traditions a whole lot. But often I've found that when I'm stuck to rules and traditions and I have to do things a certain way, it's only a matter of time before I go, that, that's stupid, why are we even doing that? That stop sign should have never been placed there, right? If we're not careful, we can think this doesn't fit when I'm reading Scripture this doesn't actually fit. I don't agree with what the pastor said. I don't agree with what our life group leader is talking about. Well, it's right out of Scripture. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Don't cheat on your taxes. We want gray areas, don't we? I think the question is, am I unruly? Could that be me? The tendency is to look at, oh, he's hard to deal with. She's hard to deal with. How about the weak? Help the weak. The faint-hearted need encouragement. The literal translation for the word faint-hearted is little sold. If you have a small soul, what does that tell you? And my faith is not strong. I might look to the dark side of things. The sky is falling. What is going to go wrong next? Well, negative Nancy needs to be encouraged. How about the weak? Hold fast to the weak is the literal translation. When you see someone who's weak, what do you do? We should hold them up. It's not physical weak. It's a spiritual weakness. We must treat them not as if they're inferior. These people lived by rules and regulations in Roman assemblies. The weak Christians were typically known as the ones who would not eat meat. They were going to tell you how you need to live. They were judgmental. They were always going to keep their holy days. They checked every box. And if you didn't check your box, well, you were going to find out about it. It's not easy when you're living in the context of people that are checking your box to be patient, encouraging, and filled with reassuring love, is it? Especially when you're trying to serve with them. It takes patience to raise a family. The weaker member who demands a lot just so happened, it just so happens that that might be the future leader of your church, though. It's very difficult people that are growing in their faith that deny that Jesus Christ lived, but then they meet him later and thousands come to faith. It's Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. What Paul realized was he was the one who was guilty of all these things. And that he saw his character in all of these church members. And he said, if we are going to serve together, we must look past the imperfections and see the sanctification. 
Where are we going from here? Not where are we now? So there's two pictures of sanctification. When we serve together, there's order, there's service, and then there's worship when we come together. When we are saved, we are sanctified. Hebrews says we are set apart. Hebrews 10.10 says we are set apart. That's the word sanctification. Forever because of Christ's blood for us. But there's also a word sanctification which means growing up set apart. It means that today I need to hear that I should no longer be drinking milk. I have to get over this issue. I have to deal with that differently than I've dealt with it before. I need to hear the hard thing that Scripture should... I should have believed it before. But I didn't believe it before, so therefore, my life really doesn't look as different as it should. If you're saved here and 10 years go by and you look the same, sanctification has not been taking place in your life. And here's what it looks like. You had a little candle for a little bit of time that was lit. But your tendency was, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to sit with my little bitty candle. But when somebody wants to come closer who's got a candle... Well, I like my candle better, so I'm going to try and blow their candle out to make mine burn brighter. That's impossible, isn't it? What real sanctification inside a church sanctuary should look like is, not a sanctuary, but a church fellowship, is all of us have a little candle that's lit, and when we come to each other, it gets brighter. Unity in the body of Christ is a bigger flame. That bigger flame times hundreds is a bonfire. And a bonfire lights the world on fire. And your friends will see that the effect of their flame that you got from church made your flame burn brighter when you got to work, when you got to school, when you got to your parents' house on Thanksgiving. And instead of cursing about your dad... You're forgiving him. You're able to share what you're going through. Because our spiritual act of worship was to what? Lay down our bodies a living sacrifice, according to Romans 12. So, in verse 22, we see abstain from every form of evil. It's kind of a negative connotation. When you're thinking of, I've already been serving, well, obviously you want to keep evil out of that, but this is talking about worship. And he goes from that verse to in verse 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you, how? Completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. That's positive. The first is, Abstain, negative, stay away from, don't do this. This is, may God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you, work in you. You are allowing him to do the work. If you go back to these other, the people that needed you to work with them in that second point, 
you will see some of the fruits of the Spirit. They were weak. They needed love. They didn't have what they needed. Galatians 5.22 gives us a list of the fruits of the Spirit, and he says, Their love, be joyful always. Pray. Love, joy, peace. Peace is in there. Patience. Kindness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. He goes on to say, Paul does, against such things there is no law. Why? Because you're not behaving the fruits of the Spirit. They are living in you. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of the living God, and He is with us. And where two or more are gathered with a brighter flame, right? He's with us now, right here. We didn't have to invite Him here tonight. We were able to pray before the service and just say, thank you, Lord, that we get to worship you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for my family. Thank you that I was born here for my purpose. Now, what do you want me to do? I want to serve and I need to submit. Maybe I got some things I need to work on. But worship is a picture of sanctification where you lay your life down, a living sacrifice, and you walk holy. Allowing him to work in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It's impossible for you to be spiritual in the flesh. It's impossible for me. But when he forgives us and he empowers you and then you go. You know what we're looking at? Not what my brother needs to hear. I wish my sister was here at church. I'm, I'm thinking, what do I need to change? What adjustment can I make? At 21 years old, I went to church all the way up until that point. My parents divorced, our church split, and my sister and my dad intervened in my life and said, you're a drunk, you're an alcoholic, you can't handle anything. So they took me, and I met this guy, he said, uh, you're going to have to go to meetings the rest of your life and all that stuff. And I remember hopelessly looking at him. Because he said, I'm, my name is and I'm an alcoholic. It wasn't until 10 years later that some forgiveness had taken place in my life. I'm not saying I didn't have problems. What I'm saying is, is that I didn't realize the other problems that were causing that. I was very unforgiving and angry. I couldn't handle obeying people I didn't agree with. I wanted to get away from stupid people. And I hated presumptuous. If you wear a tie, you're going to heaven. It's not in there. If you say these things, you're going, if he would just stay out of the bar, he'd go to heaven. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's what I came to believe. A cultural gospel. And it made me angry. And I couldn't deal with it. And I pinpointed the people in my life that were closest to me and cared, 
cared about me. And I judged them. So 10 years later, I said, Lord, forgive me. And he did. I saw him on the cross that 10 years later go and forgive. You are the one that needs forgiveness. And he gave me hope. Just a short year after that, when I was reading that I had a different identity in Jesus Christ. So I didn't have to sit and tell people four times a week that I'm David and I'm an alcoholic. Because one of the three organizations that he designed for me was the church. The first one he had begun to heal, that was my family. The second was the church, and I began to go. And the more I went, the hungrier I got, and the more truth I heard, and the more I read, I could not reconcile with what I was being told by people that cared, but it wasn't true. If you believe things that are not in here, that will not reconcile with what God wrote in here for you and I, you miss out on blessings in life that you're only going to get from him. So it's important that we sift everything that we hear from outside and then weigh it against what he says and then you give your life to the Holy Spirit and see what he does. Because he will remove desires you think were possible. He will change things in your life that you did not think were possible. And he does it through other people leading you by giving you different information that came right out of here. Because God loves us so much, he penned this. And he used Paul to do it. He said, I want you to call him to Macedonia. I want you to stop at Philippi and establish a church and they're going to grow and they're going to give you what you need. Some of those very words that were written for Philippi were not written for Philippi. They were written for me, right? What I want you to see tonight is one thing. Every word in here was written for you. Every word in here is written for me. And the more you and I dive in this together and we weigh it against what we hear in the world, the more sanctified we're going to become because God's going to change your mind about you. And what, what's going to happen is, is, as a church, we're going to grow. We're going to grow in order. We're going to grow closer together in love. And God's going to remove some things. He's going to ask you to remove some things. And then God's going to give you the power. He says he gives us, his spirit is one of power, of love, and self-control. So when I go to Johnny, and I see him caught in a trespass, I'm going to him only out of a spirit of love, wanting to see him restored with other people in private. Not so that we can 
show how spiritual we are and what's wrong with us. But so that this entire island can see this place on fire for Jesus Christ. The picture of fire in Scripture is generally good. The only negative is one of refinement. Every other place shed, spreading like wildfire is the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be spreading His Word like wildfire. He who calls you is faithful, and He will surely do it. We need to be whole spirit, soul, and body kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says again, brothers, pray for us. Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, there's somebody upstairs praying. You're welcome. Tuesday at noon, there's somebody in here praying. You're welcome. Anyone, at any time, the more we pray, the more this stays a house of prayer and the more protected you are. And the more God will pour his spirit into us as a body and protect our unity in Christ. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I'm going to freak out a little bit if somebody comes up and kisses me sometime. There's no such thing. I hated COVID because I am a hugger and I love hugging. But he's saying... You be affectionate to one another. You, you stay in fellowship and you stay tight. And there better be a lot of handshaking and not faking. I put you under oath before the Lord to have it read to all who? The brothers. Brothers, brothers, brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The band's going to come. We're done. As a... 54-year-old <clears throat> who used to profess four times a week that he was an alcoholic to be able to say to several family members, I forgive you, and watch the relationship begin to heal. To be able to say to yourself, I'm a child of God. I was bought with a price. If any man is in Christ, in Christ, it's impossible for me to sin and be filled. There's, there's conflict with the Holy Spirit and sin. So what does the Holy Spirit come to do? To convict us of our sin. So that it gets out of the way so that we can have more fellowship. Maybe there's something in there. Maybe there's something in you that you've been hanging on to for about 10 years. And you've been going to, you've been doing these things every week, saying that you are identified like this. And then all of a sudden, tonight, you're going to read, 
you're a child of the living God, and here's what it says. If anyone is in Christ, he is new. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. How can once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic? And all things become new reconcile themselves in my heart. How can that be? I know what the point is. But there's no hope when I constantly say this is who my I am. I am David and I am has to change. I am David and I am a child of God. And I'm perfect made in his image. Because he said so. Not because I just believe it. Because he said it's so, it's so. It must be so because he cannot lie. But I've lied to myself. And I paid the price for it. Instead of going to the meeting, I dropped a meeting and went to church. And I began taking in new information and going, you know what? I think I need more of those meetings. I had to go to a small men's group and I had to have people tell me this is what scripture says. And the more you do it, the hungrier you get and the more you can't get enough. I can't stop eating the bread of life and drinking the holy blood of Jesus Christ that he wants to pour out his spirit on us. So the question is, how hungry are we as a church? We prove it by what we pick. I had to pick and do the hard thing. No, I'm, I've got to say no to Saturday in order for Sunday to happen. I've got to say no to something. There's a negative thing that I have to trigger to prove to myself and to the Lord Jesus who saved me. That he really is what, he, what I say that he is and who I say that he is. And if I don't do those things, then, well, maybe, just maybe, he's not who I th thought he was to me. Maybe that's why I'm not looking the way he wants me to look. Our challenge is to look the way he wants us to look. And that when we, we're together in ministry and our arms are locked and we're going and doing stuff and we're having fun, by the way. What does he say in verse 17 and 18? Be joyful, thankful in all circumstances, for that's the will of God for you and for me. When we do his will, we catch on fire and that fire is contagious and it burns up some stuff. It burns up some good stuff. And it brings people into the fold, people that you've been praying for for years. And you might have somebody on your mind right now. Keep that person on your mind. That's the Holy Spirit drawing them. I want us to pray for those people. And I want us to pray for a sanctification. Thankful that we've got the first sanctification. That my, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But the second sanctification that I am not done yet that I just got put in the oven and I got lots of work. He has something better for you and for me. And we live in a time, I believe it's end times. I mean, 
You see it. But rather than focusing on what that looks like, I ought to be focusing on what I should be looking like. What do I do? Do I sell everything and take care of the poor? Am I going to be a missionary? What is he calling me to do? I'll tell you, it's not going to be easy. Standing for him is not easy. So let's stand for him. Go ahead and stand now. I'm going to be down front. You're going to worship. Pray for that person who's in your mind. Pray for yourself. Ask God. Thank him for your sanctification.